0: Understand it's not revenge. God doesn't exercise revenge. God doesn't have some grudge. He exercises justice that is holy.
1: This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Beaufort, South Carolina's Community Bible Church. Yesterday, in our study of the Revelation, We began looking at the bowl judgments outlined in chapter 16. We made it through the third bowl judgment which describes an angel pouring out blood into all the rivers and springs of water such that water on the earth will be undrinkable. Let's rejoin Dr. Brogy as he gives three applications to these bowl judgments.
0: I learned from this chapter of scripture from these opening verses, that God will someday make every wrong right, because he is just. A day is coming when God will make every wrong right, for he is just. Now remember, the first readers of this book were in 95 AD when John wrote it, and they were the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And if you recall the series I did, I did a sermon on on every church, did seven sermons just on those two chapters, one of the characteristics all the way through is that God's people in that century were suffering. They were being persecuted. And of course, those seven letters, along with every letter in the New Testament, the the letter to the church at Rome or Galatia or Corinth, they're written to every born-again believer, not just for those people. They're written for people not just in the first century, but people in the 21st century. And God uses those churches because all of the churches in the New Testament, all of those local assemblies really model all the challenges and difficulties and blessings that God's people have experienced since the inception of the church on Pentecost. But you might be asking, well, what would be the personal benefit of this futuristic section of the book of Revelation if you lived all the way back in the first century, 95 AD, when you first read this book? Well, the exact same benefit for someone living in the 21st century. Now remember, these people never lived to begin to even see what God pens here in chapters 6 through 18. And if you think about it for a moment, in 70 AD, as Jesus prophesied, the Romans came down. It's what Daniel also wrote about, the prince of the who is to come, and he destroyed Jerusalem, decimated it. And there was a few Jews who were left in the city, and they submitted to Roman rule. But they got bold about 132, and they had a second revolution called the Bar Kokba Rebellion. And Rome put it down in 135 AD. And from that point on, every Jew, with the exception of those few who were kept as slaves, mostly women... They were all removed from the land of Israel. And for 2,000 years, the Jewish people had been scattered across the planet. So if you're reading this in 95 AD, most of the Jews were already gone. There was just a small amount, comparatively speaking, that were still living in Israel. Yet when you read the Revelation, it presupposes that the Jewish people have been gathered from across the planet. Well, remember, nothing has ever, ever needed to be fulfilled for Christ to come and to catch up his people. All kinds of prophecy needs to take place for the second coming to happen. And so those churches could have easily thought, well, you know, God could take us out of here, and then he could gather the Jewish people from across the planet, and in those final seven years, he could fulfill it. Think about it if you were a Christian just living a 100 years ago. A hundred years ago, there was about 25,000 Jewish people from across the planet. At that time, there were about 7 million Jews on the earth. And in the late 1890s, only 25,000 Jews are living in the land. You might have reasoned, well, you know, God could take us out and then he could gather the Jewish people and bring them in from across the planet and, you know, and make them a nation as he promises to do at the end of time and make them the central focus of the world because all the nations of the world, as the Revelation teaches, are going to go against the Jewish people and he can do all that in the last seven years and he certainly could have. But we are living in the day when God has made them a nation where Jerusalem is now their capital. And according to the prophet Zechariah, it's Jerusalem that is front and center in the city of contention, as we'll see, for the whole world. And he's gathered millions of Jews, and he just keeps bringing them every single year. And now 6.6 million Jewish people are living this morning in that place we call Israel. And so if there was ever a time where we should read the Revelation with a sense of expectation, it's the day that we live in. We should have our eyes wide open. Now, certainly, these people in the first century would have immediately benefited from the book because God is giving them comfort through this book as to what he is ultimately going to do with those who hate God his people, with those who persecute his people. And that would have brought great comfort. And it would have also brought great comfort that someday God will bring his kingdom to the earth. But understand what is written here in Revelation isn't exclusively written in Revelation. Hold your finger here for a moment and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Some of this scripture is not on slides. You need to turn there turn to 2 Thessalonians. If you're new to the Bible, all the books in the Bible that start with the letter T, they're together. They're all in the New Testament. They go from long to short. The word Thessalonians, longer than the word Timothy, longer than the word Titus. So you have First and Second Thessalonians. 1 and 2 Timothy, the book of Titus, they come right after. Graham eats popcorn. Go everywhere preaching Christ, right? Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all the T books in the Bible. There we are. Now, Turn to 2 Thessalonians, go to the first chapter for just a moment. Paul by, if you remember, he is writing believers who thought maybe we misunderstood what Paul taught about the rapture. And one of the reasons they thought that is because some people stood up in the church and they gave a word of prophecy. The problem was they weren't true words of prophecy, and that's why they were to test the spirits, because the canon of Scripture was not yet complete. And while God was speaking directly to the church through prophets, that stopped once the Bible was completed. So someone stood up and said, oh, we're in the day of the Lord. The tribulation is here. And then they got a letter as if it were from Paul, and it were not. It was not. And Paul corrected them on how to discern his letters from a fraudulent letter. And they thought, you missed, you're in the great day of the Lord. So they they write Paul, and Paul answers them, no, you're not in the day of the Lord. Add to that, they were being persecuted in the city of Thessalonica like they had never seen before, and they knew that at the end of time, because Jesus had said it in the Gospels, that persecution would intensify like the church had never seen it. So Paul writes here in Second Thessalonians chapter one, let's pick it up in uh, verse three. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance in faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now notice carefully how verse five begins. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He encourages them by giving them a word of promise. This is a plain indication referring to what? To the persecution and affliction he just spoke of in verse four. The persecution and affliction that they were experiencing, that they were living through, was proof that they were children of God. This is a plain indication that you are considered worthy, or some of your translations say, counted worthy of the kingdom he is not saying the persecution earned you the kingdom of God he's saying the persecution proved that you were to be recipients of the coming kingdom you can only enter the kingdom of God Jesus said by being born again and you can only be born again by grace alone through faith alone as he told Nicodemus But the fact that they were genuinely born-again Christians, that they could be considered uh, as a plain indication as recipients of the coming kingdom, was seen in the fact that when persecution came, they didn't back down. They kept living for Jesus. And listen, all Christians will suffer in some sense, but not all Christians will suffer in the same way. One new Christian said to me not long ago, he said, my phone has stopped ringing. My friends no longer call me anymore. You give your life to Jesus and his friends weren't calling him anymore because he'd go with them to the bars and they'd drink and they'd find women and he wasn't interested in that and he knew that was wrong and he was saying, no, that's wrong, man. I'm, I'm a born again now and we don't want you around, pal. You don't make us feel good. Sometimes Christians are persecuted And that people will say all kinds of evil against you falsely. I've had a lot of things said against me over the years falsely. People will say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me, Jesus said. Paul said to... Those in Acts chapter 14, those in Lystra and Iconium, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And the word tribulation there is the word thalipsis. It's not just a trial through many trials, but through many tribulations. Now, all tribulations are trials, but not all trials are tribulations. Tribulation, Thlipsis is the word that's used in the Greek New Testament that describes the pressure of a godless world against God's people. Jesus said this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, but because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they persecuted you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. You can tell a whole lot about what it takes to stop a person. And sometimes you start living for Jesus and people pull away. Someone asked me this week, they said, you you pushed this one Republican lady for office. I did. I said, she's pro-life and she's pro-marriage. And he said to me, do you think you could be a registered Democrat and be a good Christian? I said, well, it depends. I said, let me give you the short answer. If you're registered as a Democrat because you want to go and vote in a Democrat primary to get rid of the person that you think is uh, most qualified to beat someone else who represents a more godly point of view, then okay, I get it. But would I be for a party that in their written document says, we believe that we should murder little babies? We believe that the homosexual lifestyle is a good thing and it needs to be celebrated and embraced. And we believe that we should, in essence, protect our children so they can have safe sex. Listen, this is not a democratic political issue. This is a moral issue. This is a moral issue. And listen, there are Republicans and independents who are in favor of those same wicked things. At least it's not in their platform. But I would never vote for a man who would ascribe to those things so that they could give me some kind of financial benefit and give me some health program or some t- monthly check, as some are now saying, not on your life. But listen, if you stand for what's right sometimes, you are going to be misunderstood, and some people are not going to like you. And Jesus said that this sometimes will prove whether or not someone's truly considered worthy of the kingdom. It will prove their faith one way or the other. Remember that in the parable of the sower? He said, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places... This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Gets emotional, comes to church, gets excited. I want to be saved. Yet he really hasn't been converted yet. He has no firm root in himself. He's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, he immediately falls away. Sometimes believers make superficial conclusions when they see God's people ridiculed, boycotted, harassed, mocked, tortured, imprisoned, and they think, why doesn't God do something? The fact is, is that he is doing something. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he is proving, he is demonstrating through these persecutions that you have the genuine item, no matter what people may do to you, And then he goes on in verse 6 and he gives a word of promise to God's people concerning his vindication of them. For after all, he says it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey or respond to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. In the future, when Jesus comes back, he will reverse the fortunes of both the saved and the lost. The saved will be vindicated, but the lost will meet God in his retribution, in his punishment, in his vengeance. Understand it's not revenge. God doesn't exercise revenge. God doesn't have some grudge. He exercises justice that is holy. God made a provision for every man and woman to be saved through the death of his son. For the atonement of our Savior was unlimited in its scope. But there are some who do not obey, who do not respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and they'll meet God in retribution. Look at verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. By the way, the cults sometimes say, well, there's no hell, or it's not forever. They teach destruction forever. Well, that's annihilation forever. Please know that the Greek word here for destruction does not mean annihilated. Otherwise, he could not say everlasting destruction. You know, thousands of homes, 7,000 homes were annihilated in the last few weeks in California. They are burned to the ground, they exist no more. A man who is in hell is not annihilated, he is conscious. He is aware and fully functioning as to what is taking place. And we will study that when we come to the 20th chapter. It is a place of outer darkness. It is a place where there is no fellowship with God and no fellowship with your fellow man. I meet these people saying, say, I don't care if I go to hell. My friend and I, we're going to booze it up and sex it up for all of eternity. I don't need your Christian stuff. There's no fellowship in hell. It's a place of outer darkness darkness that will be revealed when Jesus at his second coming will come with his mighty angels and every eye will see him. Listen, he came the first time and he came in humility, but when he comes again, he will come with great power. When he came the first time, the Bible teaches he came, as Isaiah said, as a suffering servant. But when he comes again, he will come with great wrath. He came the first time as a lowly Nazarene. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But when he comes again, he will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that truth. He will be revealed from heaven. It's the word apocalypsis. And so some call the book of Revelation the apocalypsis because it's about Jesus. It's the unveiling of Jesus. And so back here in Revelation 16, as we read and study these seven bowls of God's judgment, it would have brought comfort an encouragement to God's people even in the first century reading this letter because they knew a time was coming when God's perfect justice would be executed and he would make every right wrong. These are people who had their wives murdered and raped and beaten their children and executed. And God says, I'm going to fix it all. Second, God always fulfills his laws of reaping and sowing. God always fulfills his laws of reaping and sowing. The kind of judgment that comes in these bowls are the ultimate expression of God's poetic justice. Paul said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. Do not be deceived. The nature of deception is that when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. That's what makes you deceived. And people are deceived into the laws of sowing and reaping. They think they are doing just fine. They think, man, I can go out and get buzzed and sleep with women I'm not married to and be gay or whatever you want to do. God's not doing anything to me. What they don't understand is the law of sowing says you will reap later than you sow. You put a little tomato seed in the ground, it doesn't come up 10 minutes later. You reap later than you sow. It takes some time to germinate and to sprout and to grow. You will reap like you sow. A tomato seed doesn't produce an orange tree. And you will reap more than you sow because that one little tomato seed will produce 20 pounds of tomatoes. Be sure, Moses wrote, your sins will find you out. God's law of divine retribution is seen throughout every book of the Bible. Pharaoh, he tried to have the little Hebrew baby boys executed and thrown into the Nile River, but he and his entire army was drowned in the Red Sea. Haman, he built a gallows to have Mordecai hung on, and he was hung on the very gallows he built. King Saul he was told by God to go and to wipe out one of the worst people that have walked on the planet, the Amalekites, and he did not obey. And the very people, the Amalekites, that he was to wipe out, they slaughtered him and his three sons and hung them on a wall. And in this second bowl, these people think, we can kill God's people with impunity. And they slaughtered the blood of the saints in this coming day. God says, You'll drink blood. They denied the creator, and so they're punished by the creation. They rejected the healer, and so they get incurable diseases. They refuse to follow the one who gave himself for him, for them, and so he turned. Their water into blood. Don't be deceived. Finally, let me just say, if you're not marked by the Spirit, you'll be marked for wrath. You see, everyone here has a mark. Everyone within the sound of my voice. You're either marked by God Almighty. It's called being sealed with the Spirit that happened the moment, the second you called upon Jesus in faith, or you are marked for condemnation. And if you die marked for condemnation, you will die forever without our Savior. If God had never sent his son to die, he would have been just. God owed us nothing. But in his grace and his mercy, while he says for the wages of sin is death, but he says the free gift of God is eternal life to everyone who believes. God has not appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. Did you notice? I know we haven't gotten very far into the chapter, but all the way through this chapter, the word poured out. The first angel, verse two, poured out his bowl. Verse three says, the second angel poured out his bowl. Verse four says, the third angel, same word, ekeo, poured out his bowl. The fourth angel poured out his bowl. The fifth angel, ekeo, poured out his bowl. The sixth angel, ekeo, poured out his bowl. The seventh angel, ekeo, poured out his bowl. And what I find so interesting is that the same word that God uses to pour out his wrath is the identical term that he uses when he pours the Spirit out on people on the day of Pentecost. And it's the same word when Paul says, the love of God has been poured out at all within our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the moment you believe he's poured out into your heart and as you begin to grow, he bears witness with your spirit that you've become a child of God. But those who refuse Jesus, they will have poured out tribulation wrath that will turn into eternal wrath. Some people get mad at this kind of stuff shall not the judge of the world act righteously the angel says righteous are you o holy one because you judge these things yes o lord god the almighty true and righteous are your judgments if someone within the sound of my voice dies and goes to hell and meets god in their wrath or if you're left behind for the coming tribulation, you will have absolutely no one to blame but yourself. This world is not running aimlessly. We sing it, this is my Father's world, oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. And we will see that as we work through these judgments. Why don't you today, if you don't know Christ, let him mark you by his spirit rather than continue to be marked by nature as a child of wrath. Father, thank you for the revelation. Thank you that this is not just what you have said. This is what you are saying. That your people in every century since this was penned has benefited and been encouraged. But help us with wide-opened eyes to see how relevant this is as you are setting the stage behind the curtain for the next scene when the rapture will take place and these events will begin to unfold. Help someone today, Father, who is unsure of heaven to call upon him. Jesus, you said, receives sinful men. It's a trustworthy statement you said to your servant that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm the greatest of them all. One who persecuted, even murdered the saints, you saved him and planted him on solid ground and made him the great apostle who gave us so many books of the New Testament. Thank you what you do by your grace. Help someone, Father, to say, Lord Jesus, save me. He can make you the promise that if you'll call on his name, he'll save you today, right now, forever, because Jesus finished the wrath that you deserve, that I deserve. Lord Jesus, save me. Father, help us to see the world through your righteous and holy eyes. Help us to see those loved ones that maybe we'll sit around at the Thanksgiving table with, some of whom have never met you, some relatives we see just on rare occasion. Help us not to hold back. Help us with grace and with wisdom and gentleness to make a defense for the hope that is within us. And help us not just to do it in this week, but throughout the year. Help us to be faithful with the gospel you've entrusted to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: To listen again to today's study from Revelation 16 entitled The Coming Bowls of Wrath, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV43. We are delighted to share that Search the Scriptures can now be heard in the Metro Boston area on AM 1090 WILD. If you listen to us in the Greater New England area or have a friend who lives in and around Boston, would you tell them about Search the Scriptures? We're heard at 1030 AM on 1090 AM. And if you can help support this Bible teaching ministry, just click the Give button on the Search the Scriptures app or online at searchthescriptures.org. Thank you. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at the Bull Judgments. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.